Welcome to America, where you can dream as long as you can breathe. You can be the motherfucking president of the United States or get murdered right on these streets. Welcome to America. The sins that a father, my pop, gave me to suffer. The friends I will follow was crack babies and hustlers. It's still sharp and still in the block. Made me a cutler. My pen is from the future like Octavia Butler's. My grandmother sutured a flag from bloody cotton. The fruits of her labor, alas, already rotten. My man said, Joe, it's crazy how fast that we've forgotten that we used to pull boxes and plows like we were oxen and cows without Option. And now it's this glorious, victorious story Only pitch for me to shut it down They sold some of us down the rivers It's such a broad level of fraud I get the shivers It's insidious and it's always been hideous I had to tread water and run Be amphibious They do you so dirty for one Yo, what's cleanliness? It make you want to let off a gun Into the emptiness life Yo, you guys should gonna let this ride out Because uh, Black Thought go dumb on this next word So we're gonna let this one ride out I'm hella melanated uh. This is my religion To that I'm dedicated I follow the laws of nature By which I'm regulated The universe My university I'm educated This one is for my very revolutionaries Out here keeping it a hundred Even though the truth is heavy Who stand firmly And see that life is a journey To either God or the gurney My public defender Bernie So did the district attorney In a turbulent trial They told me that time is mad Yo, 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 welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamar Williams. I am your host. I had to let that ride out, man. Yo, blackness is my religion for which I am dedicated. That's a hard bar, man. That is a hard bar. Of course, that's um, Black Thoughts. Welcome to America on the Judas and Black Messiah soundtrack. Uh, came out last year. One of the dopest tracks on that album. Uh, definitely Black Thought is a legendary MC. One of the uh, dopest ever touched a mic. Um, you know, incredible uh, lyricist um, throughout whether it's written or off the top of the dome. But uh, I love that song for a number of reasons because it just shows the dichotomy of America. You can uh, be successful, uh, you can be president, or you can still be subjugated to uh, the perils of a white supremacy within the system. And I just loved how he paints a picture of just the history of it, man. So dope track, love the album, love that song. And uh, I think it was the perfect song to lead us into this podcast, man. And, you know... Uh, this is a vignette. So you know how we like to do on the vignettes, man. We like to uh, give a little bit of vibe, jazz music. We haven't done one of these in a while. Shout out to my man, Lincoln. Uh, he's actually uh, doing a, a event today, uh, Alpha 5K run, 5K, 10K run. So shout out to him. He said, I love your vignettes, man. You haven't done them in a while. So I'm giving him a shout out. All love. Um, because of that, let's hit, kick the vibe, man. So, man, it's Juneteenth, y'all. It's Juneteenth. And we actually are... Very much excited for Juneteenth. You know, I know you guys think I'm actually going to uh, hate on it, and I'm not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Before we can actually get into Juneteenth, though, I want to give a shout-out to the sponsors, uh, My Compass Tax Advisors. Uh, you can reach them at mycompasstax.com at 850-273-7193. That's 850-273-7193. Um, of course, they can help you with both your personal and business tax returns, um, as well as just any other tax issues. So uh, shout-out to them. Of course, if you're in the market for real estate, real estate's a really hard market right now because of uh, the shortage of homes or whatnot. So, but if you're still in the market, uh, contact Keystone Global Real Estate uh, at 407 680 or com. And finally, if you're in the market for wills, trust, this is any form of estate planning, guardianships, uh, probate, 
anything, contact my firm, Smith Williams Trial Group, 888-SWTGLaw.com or 888-798-4529. Uh, hit me directly at cwilliams at SWTGLaw.com. All right, wonderful, man. Oh, and if you're on Apple, please leave a rating uh, and, uh, you know, leave a little message on there. You know, let the album know the algorithms and the engagement is uh, legit. So, all right, shout out to everybody uh, listening to the podcast. If you listen to the podcast on Tuesday, uh, that was a critical race theory podcast. Of course, I called it the Crit- critical race theater. That was a long podcast, man. And because of that, I wanted to do a short one today. Um, just acknowledging uh, Juneteenth and uh, give y'all something to vibe to. Uh, chances are y'all celebrating in your own way, barbecuing or whatnot. So um, something in the morning, workout, whatnot. So hope y'all enjoy it. Uh, let's get into it, man. If you're thinking I was going to actually hate on Juneteenth, uh, I think you misread me. Uh, I'm not hating on Juneteenth. I think it's an important holiday. And because I think it's important that we celebrate it and we uh, celebrate the people that actually um, – you know, help us get to this point uh, because a lot of people uh, were uh, integral in you know, the the pushing of this particular holiday. In particular, uh, I want to give a shout out to 94 year old community activist Opal Lee, who for years, years used to uh, push uh, the concept of Juneteenth as a federal holiday. And because of that, I'm going to uh, drop a little clip for her. Hope you all enjoy it. So. I'm a 93-year-old, and I'm reaching for my 94th birthday in October. And I'm on a mission to make Juneteenth a national holiday. And I think I'm getting there. I'm pretty close. Opal Lee, it is so good to meet you. For years, you've been marching two and a half miles in cities across the country in order to raise awareness. Why two and a half miles? Because. Slaves didn't know they were free for two and a half years after the emancipation. We got the news late when the General Granger came to Galveston with General Order Number 3 that said all slaves were free. We started celebrating and we've been celebrating ever since. And what does it feel like when you march and, and people in these cities and small towns join you and, and pushing for this cause. You should see the faces. It's like an aha moment when they actually learn about Juneteenth and learn about slaves not knowing that they were free. Of course, we got some freedoms, but we ain't got them all. So we got to keep marching till we do. Talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and what you've seen in just the past few weeks. People have simply not accepted us. Black lives do matter and they're trying to make people understand. We are people who want the same things you want for your families. We matter. Our children matter. Our education, our health, all of these things matter and we want you to know it. So we'll keep marching until you do understand it. We just got so much work to do, you know? And Juneteenth symbolizes this. I see Juneteenth as a unifier. June. Yo, yo. Um, Shout out to Opal Lee, man. Uh, 94 year old, 94 years young. Okay. Continuing to, you know, uh, march and advocate, you know, advocate for issues that are important to her and, 
you know, I actually am admiring that, man. I, I hope uh, one day that, you know, I could actually have that same type of energy at her age um, and just still keep pushing along, man. I'm, I'm, it's, it's really inspiring, man. And so I, I wanted to give her her roses uh, while she's still here. In fact, she was actually at the White House um, celebrating the cer- signing ceremony. And we'll get into that in a moment. But um, I wanted to, you know, shout out to her people like her who've been pushing this long. A lot of people don't realize that uh, Juneteenth celebration has been a thing, uh, or, or excuse me, pushing for the federalization of Juneteenth since the 60s, especially in the wake of the civil rights movement. And, um, you know, uh, shout out to uh, Texas Rep Sheila Jackson, who for years uh, kept putting this at the forefront of legislation. She got um, a lot of co-sponsors on the bill, including uh, Senator Cornyn, uh, uh, the sponsor in the Senate, who's a Texas Republican, um, which is interesting. So, you know, um, we want to give shout out to those who actually have been pushing this along. And for me, Juneteenth is an important holiday uh, because it signifies the collective ideal that uh, black people operate in the communal sense, right? So we always think that until all of us are free, none of us are free. And that is how we operate. So even in the sense of when we are succeeding in our life, when we see things like oppression happening in, in this world, that's why we march. That's what we feel. Everything is connected to one of us. That's how we operate. You know, black people lived in shared experiences all throughout, and that's been a part of our DNA. So, you know, celebrating um, Juneteenth is an operation of there were those who didn't under, didn't know that they were free. And yes, there might have been some who were free and, and, and living within that quote unquote freedom, uh, whatever that was at that time. Uh, but, you know, others weren't. And so we cannot until all of us are free, none of us are free. And that's what the beauty is on Juneteenth. Now, with that being said, you guys probably even know that most black people have been celebrating Juneteenth in your own little ways. You probably didn't know that. Well, maybe you did, um, especially on New Year's Eve, uh, because for what we actually participated in this thing called Watch Night. Now, for those white folks who are listening, Watch Night for black folks is uh, on New Year's Eve, we would go to church instead of partying, and we would bring in the New Year's with um, praise and worship. Now, the origination of Watch Night uh, started uh, back when enslaved people stayed up to watch for freedom because the Emancipation Proclamation took effect on January 1st, 1863. So they would uh, institute a watch night and pray and give praise heading into the new year because they knew there was going to be new beginnings. It's going to be freedom and it was a release from bondage. And that is the concept of always wanting to go to watch night. So when your grandparents and your parents took you to watch night, they were in themselves celebrating the Emancipation Proclamation. All right. They were celebrating this, uh, um, the concept of freedom. You didn't know that. All right. So, you know, it's very much embedded within our DNA to celebrate the Emancipation Proclamation um, as far as uh, uh, as far as as freedom of black folks from the bondage of chattel slavery. Now, of course, we do know that just because we were free from slavery does not necessarily mean that we actually had the same rights. And obviously that um, didn't really take an effect until. Um, uh, many years later with amendments and challenges, court challenges or whatnot. But what also people don't realize is that slavery didn't end. It didn't end um, in all states. It just ended in the Confederacy. And that's a very clear, stark difference. Uh, Meaning that states like Kentucky, Delaware, Tennessee, Maryland, um, they didn't, the Emancipation Proclamation didn't apply to them 
because they never succeeded from the union. So they were able to hold slaves uh, and, and keep uh, uh, slavery going because the idea of slavery was to uh, uh, was was propping up um, the economy in those respective states. And it was propping up the economy, period, um, especially in the southern um, in the southern Confederacy. And Lincoln, you know, dismantled the 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 uh, economic benefit of slavery to cripple the South. So we have to walk away again from this narrative that Lincoln did it because of the idea that he wanted this humane thing, this pro- this proxy of humanity of trying to make sure that everybody was free. No, he didn't do it to f- for um, freedom of humanity. He did it as an application to take out one of this, the pillars of economic um, power for the South. Right now, you know, most people don't realize that. So when we celebrate the Emancipation Proclamation, we're not talking about the end of slavery. We're talking about the end of slavery in the Confederacy. And that's a distinction that oftentimes is ignored, especially in the retelling of this history and the mythology of Abraham Lincoln. That's facts. Right. So in regards to Texas and how we got here is that Emancipation Proclamation um, took effect and uh, you had now um, states who in the Confederacy that were slowly but surely trying to hold on to the last vestiges of their economic power. Um, Texas being the last part of the Confederacy who actually, uh, uh, you know, emancipated slaves. It wasn't until uh, Union General Union soldiers showed up to Galveston County and uh, emancipated the slaves by federal order that they were free to go home. Of course, they did not know, in fact, that um, the Civil War had ended. Now, here's why it's important. Again, we talk about history because and, and not centering history on whiteness because Texas, for years, would institute a narrative that, well, Texas didn't know the Civil War ended. That's what they would say. They say they weren't aware that the Civil War had ended, and therefore, um, they didn't receive word um, until slavery had been abolished. Well, that's actually an incredible lie, because it is common knowledge that uh, by the time Granger had arrived in Galveston, um, Texas, on, on January 14th, 1863, Houston newspaper reported the resolution endorsing of Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation uh, adopted the, by the House of Federal Representatives and more than 100 Texas newspapers mentioned the Emancipation Proclamation between 1862 to 1864. So the real reason uh, people were still in bondage when the Union troops arrived is because uh, the Confederate generals uh, prohibited the transmission of this uh, information. Now, Texas was aware, but their centering history on whiteness gives a narrative that they were just unaware. And that's why slavery was still in the slates. And a lot of counties didn't understand that, you know, they were trying to um, they didn't understand that they were um, uh, uh, holding on to uh, slavery or slaves. Rather. When we talk about and I know we mentioned this in the podcast, I don't want to get too deep into it. When we talk about critical race theory and the problem of uh, the the states eliminating um, or creating these ambiguous laws regarding critical race theory what we're really saying what we're really saying here is that these states are creating ambiguous uh, statements of law that can be filled in 
by legislators with uh, an agenda to eliminate uh, uh, a true narrative of history. We already have states doing that right now. Texas being one of them who have they have uh, textbooks that talk about slaves being workers. Right. And it not being that bad. And there being a communal aspect to um, slaves. Again, not to get too deep into that pot, into that area, because we covered that extensively in the in the podcast. But, you know, we have to be careful about how we talk about race in this country and how we create and how we talk about history in this country, because narratives just like the one created by Abraham Lincoln, just like the one created around um, Emancipation Proclamation, just like the one created around uh, race in this country and bondage. Um, you would have people celebrate the fact that slavery ended and then everybody was free and that was all good. And that's really what we need to talk about and how we moved forward as a country. We didn't move forward as a country. We didn't. And there's empirical data and proof that shows that we didn't move forward as a country. All right. Yes, we had the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendment. And though while the laws were actually it was federal law that you could not discriminate on the basis of race, you still had states and counties discriminating on the basis of race by way of Jim Crow laws that weren't made, weren't mentioning race by name verbatim, but they were using things to institute a control and subjugate a control entire framework of people that regulated them to second class citizens within the country. That's where we're at. And again, you know, history to me is an important, uh, memoir into the humanity of this country but when we tear tear out pieces of this memoir in order to fit a narrative that makes us look good there's a lack of authenticity that happens and i for one am you know disgusted when i hear these things now how does it all play into where i'm at with as far as politics right well obviously the politics have infected the idea of critical race theory and how we actually gotten to this place of society where we don't want race and ultimately we don't want uh, um, we don't want critical race in, in schools which is not and we don't want um, ultimately race talk within the schools or we want to be able to curate the history that's surrounding race in the school in the schools or surrounding the topic of race within the schools right and we always talk about the lawyers always say the devil's in the details well that's the same thing in law when you create ambiguous pieces of legislation that are have a wide range of effect and you don't you don't create a uh, a strong identification of what exactly are you banning because they have they don't even know what they're banning. They're just banning something. Now you can let people with nefarious intentions walk in and create the devil in the details that actually create a narrative of how of how we talk about race and history in this country, which is already a problem to begin with. Okay, now moving into the sideway of politics. I made a post early this week about how, um, and this is where my beef comes in. Uh, you look at the unanimous uh, push to get Juneteenth, uh, you know, uh, it made it made it into a federal holiday. And and, and I know people say, "Kamar, you're hating," and you know, we just got to take these victories, uh, you know, because it's been so long and we've been mo- moving since the '60s in order to uh, be recognized as this important day of emancipation of, of slavery. And I'm like, "Yo, chief." Ain't nobody telling us not to celebrate the fact that we, you know, we as a human, as a race of people were finally be able to participate in the freedoms that this country has written down in a piece of paper that they guard so heavily in the, uh, in, in the Constitution. 
Nobody's telling us not to do that. What we're telling or what I'm specifically saying is that let's recognize the politics and the performative aspect that is surrounding this legislation. Because while we're arguing and, and we're advocating for the concept of uh, uh, celebration of this particular legislation, there are things like, you know, uh, Senate Bill 1, you know, the, uh, the Voting Rights Act uh, that is stalling. We have things like the um, uh, we have things like the, the George Floyd uh, uh, Policing uh, Act that is stalling. All right. We have things that are, you know, we have reparations that are solid. We have things that are actually can uplift black people and push us in a direction. But those things are being stopgapped, filibustered, or not, are not even applied within the Senate. But guess what they did give us? Unanimous decision to give us a holiday. And I can guarantee you if you ask every black person what they would want in this society, would they want a day off? Or do they want equal legislation uh, they want legislation that addresses e um, equality within this country to make sure their playing field is safe their playing field is is that of those of their white counterparts right they want access to voting most of us right definitely want access to health care definitely want to make sure economics is it's is, um, equal right these things are important but we can't get unanimous decision on those things. Now, in my opinion, this is what we call tokenism. Now, before we say, Kamara, you're tripping about what, to you know, tokenism and all that. I want to give you a highlight of uh, a day in American history, November 3rd, 1983. November 3rd, 1983 is when Ronald Reagan signed a bill uh, making the third Monday of January as Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Now. Of course, Ronald Reagan making signing that bill means that, you know, Ronald Reagan was a friend to black people. That's what that means, right? Of course, that's what that means. But, you know, before we even get into that, I'd like to play my favorite clip of Ronald Reagan. Last night, I tell you, to watch that thing on television, I, I did. Yeah. To see those, those monkeys from those African countries. Damn them, they're still uncomfortable wearing shoes. <laughs> well, and then they, the tail wags the dog there, doesn't it? Yeah. The tail wags the dog. That was a clip from the Gipper himself when he was, um, it was leaked that he talked to Nixon and he was talking about black people as monkeys. What, what are you talking about, Kamara? The Gipper thought about black people in such a negative way, but he gave us Martin Luther King Day. Yes, but he also, in his presidency, black um, poverty rate jumped up to 31% compared to, as opposed to whites uh, at 10, 10%, right? The uh, income, income gap between uh, black Americans and white Americans skyrocketed, all right? Uh, obviously, the war on drugs uh, disproportionately affected the black community, specifically when it came to crimes of crack cocaine and uh, marijuana, right? So these things happening... In our country, um, obviously, under the watch of the Big Gipper, who was a big advocate for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Let's not forget that Reagan appointed a conservative um, uh, lawyer to lead the Equal Opportunity Commission. And this lawyer would sharply reduce the funding and staffing levels of federal spending cuts. 
this lawyer becoming Clarence Thomas, who always ultimately became the Supreme Court justice by Reagan's successor, President Bush. Right. Tokenism. Putting people in place to give, provide a narrative that there's equality, but actually, in fact, there's, you know, we are far from it. Now, I know, I know people are like, Kamara, how is this a part of tokenism? I want to give you a strict definition of tokenism. Tokenism is a practice of making only a perfunctory symbolic, symbolic effort to do a particular thing, especially by recruiting a small number of people from an underrepresented group in order to give the appearance of equality. That's what he did with, uh, with Clarence Thomas by putting him as head of the EEOC, but also stripping the EEOC of his power to actually help black people. That's what you see about black people who actually um, get up in front of these parent teachers meetings and talk about, oh, well, you know, I I'm successful and I don't want if I'm successful, that means there's no racism in America. That's what they tell you. All right. Of course, we understand that just because somebody is successful does not negate the oppression of that particular general uh, group. That's like saying sexism doesn't exist because we have women CEOs. That's like saying anti-Semitism doesn't exist because there are successful Jewish people within this country. That's ridiculous. But of course, racism doesn't exist because we got Oprah Winfrey and Tiger Woods. And we got a bunch of black doctors and lawyers. Right. Michael Jordan, he's making commercials and he's a billionaire. How can racism be uh, exist when we have a black president? That's actually what Mitch McConnell said, you know, uh, to show you that we've progressed the country. We have a black president. We had a black president. So therefore, racism doesn't exist. Tokenism. Tokenism is a tool designed to appease people, to give the appearance that we've actually come far. Now, how does this apply to what happened this week when we got the Senate bill? I'm going to take it back to the president. No, not this president that we have, the former president who, you know, is quoted and it's just got released on uh, Friday. He said, I've done all this stuff for black people. Now, this is, of course, in response to the lack of support he received in the, in the wake of the George Floyd protests and subsequent election. But I've done all this stuff for black people and they fucking hate me. Now, that's interesting because he was a he was a big proponent of Juneteenth. The blacks. He didn't even say the black. He said the blacks. Right. He regulated us to a almost a subject. Not a he took in the humanity out of us as a people. So I've done all these things to the blacks and they, and they fucking hate me. Maybe. Well, you know, if you don't refer to an entire group of people as, you know, the blacks, like we don't have a human function within our uh, existence. Maybe that's why they don't fucking like you. But I digress. But again, that's a part of tokenism because we understood and I don't want to belabor Trump here, but we understood that Trump was a transactional president and that he did things in order to appease and for an objective to get or confer a benefit out of people. Right. Not because he actually believed in it, not because he was actually trying to push for equality, but because he felt like I'm going to garner the necessary reaction that I need. And that is exactly what's happening with this particular bill. It is designed to garner a reaction and a design to uh, per, to uh, present the idea that, you know, things are great. But guess what? While the Republicans are, act, uh, you know, are marching in uniformity and getting us this bill, Mitch McConnell is saying stuff like this. You all have noticed that there's now a debate among Democrats over a revised version uh, produced by one of the Democrats yesterday, which has been endorsed by Stacey Abrams. 
So I would make this observation about the revised version. Equally unacceptable, totally inappropriate. All Republicans, I think, will oppose that as well. Yeah. So the background on that is that um, the the Democrats have presented this voting rights bill. Uh, Republicans have... um, stopgap measure and, and they have been saying that they're not going to vote for it it doesn't matter what's presented so then joe manchin you know the swell guy that he is he said i don't believe in dismantling the uh the the, uh, the filibuster in order to pass this because i believe there are 10 good republicans that we can get to sign this bill and we, and we just get some compromise because compromise we're always compromising oppression we're always compromising it right it's funny we didn't have to compromise for the Juneteenth, because we saw that was needed, but we have to compromise things that are that matter. So, you know, so Democrats are, like, you know, we don't want to compromise. But Joe mentions I can get you get to you 10 good Republicans. Then Stacey Abrams in all her, you know, fantasticness. That's not a word, but we're, we're, we're going to rock with it. Uh, says, all right, cool. Guess what? I've read your bill. I don't really fuck with everything in it. But you know what? Let's just say we're going to acquiesce. We'll, we'll go along with that bill. Show me your cards. Show me what you show me the 10 Republicans that you can get on to sign on for this. Because, you know, in the Democrats, we acquiesce. We said, all right, we'll give into this. And Joe Manchin couldn't give us nothing. Couldn't give us nothing. He couldn't even produce a single Republican. In fact, when it was asked to uh, address, you know, where are the Republicans? Here's his response. Crickets. So I want to focus on why this is really important. Because while we have one hand patting themselves on the back and, pat, and giving us a high five about freedom, we have the other hand subjugating us and instituting or crying, trying to institute voting laws across the country ever since their main guy lost in the last election and over at this point, 27 states have instituted new voting laws since November 2020. 27 states have instituted new voting laws that have um, disproportionately affected black people or, the, or communities of color. That's where we're at right now. And this federal voting rights law would actually, in, would actually put a mandate of making sure there are standards that are being met so that these states wouldn't have the right to move voting locations, wouldn't have the right to scrub voting rolls, wouldn't have the right to uh, uh, um, not give early access to voting. They would put mandates in place. And of course, Republicans don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. Right? Of course, they don't want to like vote on uh, uh, the policing act. They don't even want to acknowledge that police got hurt on the Capitol, on the Capitol steps on January 6th, let alone... Um, try to reform um, criminal justice, you know. So, and that's the whole thing: do we reform or do we tear it down? But that's another podcast from the day. But the idea that these things that actually have teeth are not even being given any true sense of acknowledgement should give us an idea of their focus and you know their objective. Keep in mind that John Lewis act was on Mitch McConnell's desk for two years, two years. And he let that thing collect dust. But you know what he was able to get past in a matter matter of 10 days? Amy Cohen Barrett on the Supreme Court. That's what he was willing to do. See, when you have a, (laughs) 
uh, when you have an objective, performance is secondary because you're going to get what you need to do. The objective is what's more important. At this point, the objective by Republicans is not only to dissuade blacks from thinking that there's anything wrong within our country, but it's also to prohibit um, Democrats or even black people from actually uh, getting the things that are actually going to help our communities. And that's where I'm at with it. So listen, I got love. I got love for, uh, you know, uh, Juneteenth. It's an important day. But rather than being bombarded with symbolic justice of progress, while the mechanisms of inequality continue to move the machinery of supremacy, I'd rather us have conversations that actually are going to push the ball forward. This can cause us to feel jaded by the system if we're constantly, constantly subjected to disinformation and, dis- and, in, uh, and a disgenuous attitude towards the rights of us. We need to stop voter protection. Uh, we need to stop voter suppression. We need to protect our right to protest because that's also been uh, um, really uh, has been uh, um, uh, diminished in these states, especially here in Florida. Right. We talked about the anti-riot bill that is uh, tar- that targets voting and tries to put a cold water on free speech and on the right to protest. Right. You know, of course, we want to talk about things like the Green New Deal and all these all these things that are important to us as a community, as a society, as a country. Those are things that are important. So I don't really give a fuck about a federal holiday in which this gets another excuse for these people to not fucking work on it on a federal holiday. Because that's literally what it is. They get they get another day in which you're not actually doing any work. So that's what it is. Right. Ambiguous laws surrounding, you know, critical race theory level a gritty a greater concern for me than actually banning the graduate studies program. That's the thing. That's the conversation we need to have. What are, what do these ambiguous laws mean? That's the conversation. And when you do these things, it's a design to take the focus off of what's important. This Juneteenth holiday is nothing more than an attempt to divert attention from the substantive issues that have far greater impact on the lives of black people. That's it. Now, that being said, I do believe that this holiday deserves its roses and we should be proud of the understanding of slavery is peeled back, even if it's an incremental nature. But that is progress. Our ancestors were kidnapped, forced on ships as cargo, and were carried across the ocean into foreign lands, making stops in what we call now the Caribbean, South America, Central America, and of course, North America. This harrowing track took a de- determination that many of us can't even imagine. Think about having an eight-week journey that some historians estimate took about 20 to 40% of enslaved humans out. They didn't even make the journey because the conditions were so bad. So 60% or 80% of those who left the shore, the western shores of Africa, didn't, only were able to make it up to this new world. Landing on a foreign land and sold into captivity, only to be dealt with hundred years of subrogation that followed. Yes, this is a story that needs to be told over and over and over again, with the details not being scrubbed over by mythology of centering history on whiteness. This is what we're this is what we're talking about. And so, just like our ancestors had to traverse these this endless ocean of peril, so too must we move forward and and fight despite this ocean of opposition that lies ahead of us.
So let's listen. I want y'all to celebrate today. I want y'all to be merry. Hey, shout out to the fact we get a day, you know, to to be consider our history. But understand that emancipation did not mean freedom. Not for a lot of us. And just like uh, celebrating Juneteenth does not mean freedom from our worries and our issues. We have to be vigilant and continue to work just like women like Opal Lee has stated. Continue to do the work. Don't let this ocean of opposition be our detriment to actually moving forward and swimming that land of prosperity and equality, not the land that our ancestors laid foot to soil. So that is my uh, vignette. I hope you all appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. We try to keep it relatively short. You know, I know I went a little bit over. I tried to keep it 30 minutes, but obviously I went a little bit over that. Um, But, you know, since we're on the subject, uh, you know, of just uh, oceans and our ancestors and everything like that, man, I'm going to go ahead and um, ride out to um, attract, I think, this apropos. Blessings, blessings, I see Elephant house on the bow of a sailing lady Docked on the Ivory Coast Mercedes in a row, winding down the road I hope my black skin don't dirt this white tuxedo Before the boss got sure And if so well, fuck it, fuck it Because this water drown my family This water makes my blood This water tells my story This water knows it all Go ahead and spill some champagne In the water Go ahead and watch the sun blaze On the waves of the ocean uh, Yo boy still smelling like cocaine White boat, white road, can he be more cleaner? The oil you spill, that BP ain't clean up I'm anti, uh, Santa Maria Only Christopher we acknowledge is Wallace I don't even like washing in my pocket Black card go hard when I'm shopping Boat docked in front of her man's picking cotton Silk and fleeces, lay on my cheeses Oh my God, I hope